Okay, Freedom in Christ session two. We started this a few weeks back. We've done an introduction session. We've done our first session. We've been following up in small groups. We had a break last week. Mel spoke. Uh, and then we had the prayer meeting midweek, so there were no life groups. So we're back onto it today. So if you're looking in your notes, we've got, we're into session two. Who am I now? So last time, we, um, we considered the question, who are we? Who are we deep down inside? And what difference does that make? And we saw that the Bible says that at one time we were by nature objects of wrath. In other words, we were basically, we were offensive to God. The things we'd done, the things we'd said, um, were, had, had kind of gone against his perfect standards, perfect judgment. And that was a problem um, for us. But however, the moment you became a Christian, if you're a Christian here, if you're a believer, if you've repented of your sins if you've turned away and follow him, something dramatic changed in your life. The biggest thing in the world happened to you. Everything changed at that moment. And we've got some Bible verses here. I just want us to have a little look at to remind us of that before we go forward. The first one, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Let's actually read that one out together. Everyone can see it on the board? Start from the beginning. Everyone. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. And the question kind of for that is, can you be partly a new creation? No. You're either old or you're new. And the Bible says you are now new. Everything's changed. Let's have the next verse up. Let's read this one together. For you were once darkness... But now you are light in the Lord. And the question for that is, can you be both light and dark? And actually, no, you can't. You're either darkness or light. And now as a believer, someone who's put their faith and trust in Jesus, you are light in the Lord, it says in Ephesians. Last one, Colossians 1. It says, he has altogether rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. Can you be in both kingdoms? No, you can only be in one, and he's in, you're in the kingdom of his son. Something has changed. Something dramatic has happened in you, something cataclysmic. You are now a new creation. You are now in the light. You are now in the kingdom of his son as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, which means you are no longer a sinner. It's common <coughs> in kind of church parlance to hear the phrase, we're sinners saved by grace, which has some truth into it. We were once sinners and we have been saved by the grace of God. But if we look at what it says, Paul says in Romans, there's some interesting things we can play. It says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. The key word there is were. We were sinners. Yes, you were a sinner saved by grace, but you're now no longer a sinner. You are no longer a sinner. So the question then becomes, well, who am I now then? Who am I? If I'm not a sinner anymore, what am I now? In the New Testament, apparently over 300 times it describes people as sinners. And every time it's an unbeliever, someone who hasn't made a profession of faith and trust, which counts as all of us before we are Christians. But on the other hand, when it describes believers, followers of Jesus, people who put their faith and trust, it uses different words. It uses words like holy ones, righteous, or saints. And the reality is, you are a saint. 
If you're a follower of Jesus, if you've put your faith and trust in him, you are a saint. It literally means you are a holy one, someone who is righteous, someone who has right standing before God. And this isn't a title like Lord so-and-so or you know, something like that. This is actually an identity. This is who you are. This is what God has made you since you became a Christian. You've been changed from someone who displeased God, someone who was an object of wrath, an enemy of God, it describes, someone who was offensive to God because of the things we said, to now, as we looked at last week, someone who is accepted, secure, and significant in Christ. We have been completely and utterly changed. And um, if only think about the illustration, last night I was at Man vs. Fire, it was an awesome time, but one of the things when you hang around fire a lot, and then you come home, you're a bit smelly because of the smoke, and I, um, had to ch- I changed my clothes, I went into the wash, put new clothes on, but the reality is just putting on some new clothes doesn't actually change me. I'm still the same person, whether I've got clean clothes on or dirty clothes on, and sometimes we think, well, we're coming Christian, we just put a Christian cl- t-shirt on. We're no longer a you know, whatever, agnostic, atheist, Christian. Now I'm a Christian. I put the new, new T-shirt on. But actually, it's deeper than that. It isn't like you just put something on. You've been completely changed fundamentally. You are totally new. When God looks at you now, he smiles. He, he thinks good things for you. You are a new creation. You are now holy through and through in all of your being. This is what has happened to you. Everything has changed. You are now good. And we are saints because of our new identity we have in Christ, our new position. Um, in the, um, if you read your New Testament, you don't actually often find the word Christian. It's in there, but it doesn't, it's not in there a lot. Another phrase that Paul particularly loses in his letters, which is, it means the same thing, but his phrase is, in Christ. He describes you as someone who is in Christ. That's what a believer is. And if you read the, the book of Ephesians, which we studied actually here as a church a few years ago, the word in Christ or the phrase in Christ appears about 40 times in six chapters. And Paul is describing it. This is what you are like. You are in Christ. You have a new identity. You are a new creation. You are no longer objects of wrath. Peter describes in his letter, he says actually you now share in God's nature. He said there's something fundamentally different about you. And it doesn't matter whether you've been a Christian a year or 40 years. I know in this room we've got people who've been Christians, part of this church, maybe over the last 12 months. I know there are people in this room who've been Christians a bit longer. You know, I'll be vague about that, but let's say 30 plus years. The reality is whether you've been a Christian uh, a year, a few minutes, or, or 40, 50, 60 years, you're still both holy and righteous the same. You're not, one is not better than the other. You are both saints. You have both been called by God to be holy through and through. Being a saint is about your identity, not your maturity. And so this is true for all of us who are believers. So we're not just forgiven. We're actually a whole new person. We have been radically transformed. And if we're going to change our behavior as, as Jesus would have us do and the Bible teaches us, it's got to come from how we view ourselves. Because if we view ourselves as sinners, what are we most likely to do? Sin. <laughs> it just follows. But actually, if you view yourself as a saint you view yourself as someone who is in Christ, who has been completely and utterly transformed and you are no longer like you used to be, if you view yourself like that, which is what the Bible says, you're likely your behavior is going to come out of you, out of you. It's going to come through you. That's what's going to be coming out of you. I'm a sinner. I'm a saint, sorry. 
I'm holy and righteous, and I will act according to who I believe I am. You are a whole new person. So when we look about us becoming Christians, the first part of the story is that we have um, Jesus has died for our sins. But this leaves us believing that we're not that different from where we are. But when we realize that we've been accepted, we've been transformed, we've actually, everything's changed. Let me use this illustration. Let's talk about a dead man. Can we have the dead man up? There he is. If we wanted to save him, there's a couple of things we've got to do. First thing, we've got to find a cure for whatever caused him to die in the first place. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. So in our case, the disease was sin. That's what caused us to die. Jesus went to the cross to die for our sins. Problem solved. But now we need to find the cure. Because actually, we've sued the disease, but actually the guy's still dead. So what did it say? If you read that verse, Romans 6.23, For the ways of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Eternal life in Christ Jesus. So it's not just that we had a problem and that's been solved with. Actually, we have something that we've been given. Eternal life as a result. We are more than just forgiven sinners. And if we're going to kind of transform our behaviors, which is hopefully the purpose of this course, it will transform our mind, transform our behavior. We need to get the, the truth in us. Get our identity changed. We'll understand who we are in God and start actually believing that. Because... If you want to transform your life, if you want to see God move in you, we need to start with what we believe. And defeated Christians do not know this amazing truth. Because the reality is no one can consistently behave in a way that is inconsistent with what they believe about themselves. Let me say that again. No one can consistently behave in a way that is inconsistent with what they believe about themselves. And the, the, the strategy of the enemy is to make you disbelieve what God has done in your life. That's what he's after. He wants you to disbelieve the things that God has done. He wants you to think differently because he knows once he's got you thinking differently, you're going to behave differently. It will be easy after that. And the reality is we've been transformed. We now have a loving father who is for us. He, he, He wants good things for us. He welcomes us into his presence. He is watching over us. And if, God, if the enemy can stop us thinking like that, believing that, we will act according to that, which isn't the best. And you might say things to me like, well, you know, you don't know what's been done to me. You don't know what's happened in my life. And the response is, well, that doesn't change who you are in Christ. You might say to me, well, you don't know how bad I've been. You don't know about the things I've done, even this week, even this morning. It doesn't change who you are in Christ. You don't know what failures I've had as a Christian. Oh, I've tried this and I've tried that and I've just, I've crashed and burned time and time again. It doesn't change who you are in Christ. Here's the reality. Christ loved you when you were a sinner. Nothing you're going to do is going to surprise him. And nothing's going to stop you being a saint. But you might say, wait a minute, what about the future? I'm going to commit lots of sins in the future. I know I'm going to make mistakes. And here's the reality. When Christ died for you on the cross, how many of your sins are in the future? All of them. <laughs> he knew. He knew everything you've done. He knows everything you're going to do. Everything. He knew it. And guess what? He still died for you. When Jesus died, he died once for all, for all your sins. Now, just to be 
Sure, the fact that you're a saint isn't because you've been good or better than anyone else or have earned it in any way. It's a free gift from God to you. But he has transformed you. He has turned you around. You are not saved by how you behave. You're saved by what you believe. It's all about faith and trust in Jesus. And what we need to do is we need to work hard on changing what we believe and what it lines up with what the Bible says, and that will then change um, our behavior. If you were here a couple of weeks ago and we did the, um, the sermon and you were here and you took the book away, I gave you some homework, which was from the book, which was to read out some of those things. We read them together, and then they're in the book. If we just turn, open your book, they're on page 17, 18, I think. Yeah. These things that the Bible says about you, I'm doing. And I basically said to you, could you do that the following week, forgetting actually that I wasn't going to be on the following week. Melanie was going to come, so it's actually been sort of two weeks. And my question to you is, have you been reading them? Have you been reading them? We're not going to do a show of hands, but here's the thing when you, you get stuff like that. What they are is truth. That's what all they are. They're just written words on a page, but they, they are biblical truth that we're to read out. And I've been doing it every day. Since the sermon, I've been getting up and the book, you put the book by your bed or sometimes I leave it on my desk where I go and work so I see it and so I can read it out loud every day. And the reason we do that on a regular basis, and I said do it every day, is that you need to keep hearing the truth to transform you. Let me put it like this, give me an illustration. I've got two children at home, uh, Levi and Asher, two little boys. And when Mel got kind of pregnant with um, Levi, our eldest son, we we sat down and said, right, we're going to be parents for the first time, which is frankly terrifying because you don't have to pass an exam or anything. You just, one good night and suddenly nine months time there's something coming and we've got to get ready for it. So we sat down and said, right, how are we going to be parents and what, what do we want to do with this little baby, we didn't know if it was a boy or girl at the time, when this, this child arrives in our life and everything ends as far as we know it and we've now got to be parents, what are we going to do? And we decided we wanted to do two things and this is, our kind of, this is what we built our parenting on. Number one, we wanted, we wanted our child to know that their parents love them. That's what we, we want him to know his parents love him. Mummy and daddy love you very, very much. And the second thing we want to know was that Jesus loved them. And we did it in that order because when you've got a little baby, you know, trying to communicate that Jesus loves you is a bit abstract at first. So we'll start with us. We love you, and then we're going to teach you that Jesus loves you. And in fact, he loves you more than we do. But we'll start with that. So that was our kind of our foundation. And we said, right, we're going to do everything we can to teach Levi and Ash that mummy and daddy love them very much. Now, here's the thing. Did we just say it once? No. I've told my kids every single day of their life, their daddy loves them. I've told them they're proud. And the first words both my sons heard in this world when they were born was, you are my son and I love you and with you I am well pleased. First things their daddy said to them. And I've said stuff like that to them every single day of their life. So I've spoken to them. I've, I've done things. I've played with them. I've taken them out. I've kissed them. I've cuddled them. I've provided for them. I've done everything I can to demonstrate that I love them. I am for them. And Melanie has done just as much as me. Probably more, she spends more time with them. But we've done everything we can to communicate to them that we love them. But we do it every single day. I've done it today, even this morning. I've told them both, I love them. We've played together. We've done all sorts of things. And you know what? I'm going to do it again before they go to bed tonight. But what I've done is every single day of their lives, I've communicated again and again and again the truth because I want them to get it. 
and I know that life comes in and things break up and sometimes I've got to bring discipline which in itself is an act of love and sometimes I'm just sinful towards them, I lose my temper, I'm cross and stuff but I'll be behind it, I want to keep saying I love you and I'm going to keep saying it and keep saying it to the day I die so they are aware that their daddy loves them. And when we get you to think things like this, read out this stuff. Just read it out, stuff in a book. It's our way of saying, we want God to tell you the same thing. You've got a father in heaven who loves you way more than I love my kids. Way more you might love your kids or your spouse or your friends. And he wants to let you know. And the way he does it is by communicating through his word to you. He does other ways, but the prime way is his word. And so when we say to you, guys, read this out. Take this truth, get it in, change your behavior. Because like my kids, I want them to be convinced that every opportunity daddy loves them, God is the same. He wants you to be convinced that every opportunity that he is for you, he has got good plans for you, he has transformed you completely, you're not like you used to be. And when you read out that list, if you've been doing it, the last couple of weeks, when you've been reading things about I'm a citizen of heaven, I'm hidden with Christ in God, I'm God's child, I'm Christ's friend, I've been justified, which means I've been declared not guilty. I've been united with God. I belong to God. All these things. The idea behind them is that you're being transformed and you're being convinced of the truth. We're not trying to build up something that's not true. When I tell my kids I love them, I'm not trying to convince them of a lie. I'm trying to tell them, this is what I feel. I just want you to get it. And I will keep hammering it home until you say, Daddy, stop it. I had a moment the other day. I think it was with Asha. And I had this moment. You know when you, you, you want quality time with your kids? And it doesn't, you don't know when it's going to come, so you spend quantity time with them. And occasionally, I had this moment when I said, Asher, and he looked straight at me. And I thought we had a connection. We went eye to eye. And he looked straight at me, totally expecting. I said, Asher, I love you. And he went, Daddy, I love chocolate. <laughs> and I was just like, I just, I thought, do you know what? I'm going to keep saying it. I'm going to keep saying it. But there was that moment where I thought, this is it. Father of the Year Award. And it was just like, I love chocolate, Daddy. Anyway, where were we? But, so when we ask you to re- do this thing, that's the reason behind it. We want you to be convinced of a truth, that this is what God thinks about you. This is what God has done in your life. Okay, moving on. That's all very good, but what happens when things go wrong? Things gone wrong with anyone recently? <laughs> done things wrong? Things haven't quite worked out, you know, we've lost our temper, done whatever. The problem is, if we see ourselves as sinners rather than saints, we can just think, well, we do things wrong and that becomes normal. That's what we're expected, that's what we should do. But the reality is we're changed. We're now saints. We're saints, actually. And as a Christian, that's a settled matter. That's not in debate. You are a saint. You are a holy and righteous one before God and you've been made completely you and you've been changed to the core of your being. And the reality is we do do things wrong. It's not inevitable. It's not inevitable. But we still do make mistakes. And the Bible got some things to address this. We are saints who sin. We have the capacity not to sin. John, uh, John 1 says this. John 2 verse 1 says, My ch- little children... It's the Apostle John. He says, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. You may not sin. We do have a choice in this matter, that we do not have to sin. It says in Romans that we've died to sin. That relationship has ended. Its power over us has been broken. We no longer have to to sin anymore. But it doesn't mean we live in this state of sinless perfection. Because it says in John 1, uh, 1 verse 8, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth's not in us. So we know we do make mistakes 
We're fooling ourselves if we think, oh, we never do anything wrong. And the truth is, saints do sometimes sin. But, but as saints, we no longer have to fear in, in God's judgment. God's not waiting there to just pound you as soon as something goes wrong. He's not waiting to pour out judgment on you for the stakes you've made. The reality is the judgment for the mistakes you've made and will make has already been poured out. Who's it been poured out on? Jesus. He's not going to pour it out on you. It's already fallen on Christ on the cross. You're not the sinner, a sinner in the hands of an angry God. You're a saint in the hands of a loving Father. And he's called you into his presence. But it says, if we follow on that first verse, my children, I'm writing these things you so you may not sin, but if anyone does sin... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So when we do sin, what happens when we sin? Here's the truth. Our fundamental relationship with our Heavenly Father does not change. When we sin, when we get things, our relationship with God does not change. Our eternal destiny stays secure. Jesus paid the penalty for that sin. It's like, it's like when my kids do something wrong, which they do. You'd be surprised to know they do do something wrong, um, it doesn't change that they're my children. Their DNA doesn't alter. They can do bad things. They can be mean to me, mean to mother, usually mean to one another. They're very good at that. They're siblings kind of uh, arguing over something. That doesn't change who they are. It doesn't change what they do. They're going to be my children. Their DNA is the same, even if they were absent from me. My parents currently on the other side of the world in Florida having a really nice holiday. Not jealous at all, but they are. They're way over there, but they could be very absent, thousands of miles away. But do you know what? I'm still their son. I'm still their son. Even distance doesn't change us. We're born again. We are God's children. We've received his DNA. The Bible says God's own spirit lives us in Romans 8. It says we share in the nature of God to Peter. Nothing can separate us from God's love, it says in Romans 8. And no one can snatch us out of God's hand, it says in John 10. So we are completely his. Our relationship cannot change with him when we, are, um, when we sin. So if we're born again, that's a settled matter. If you're a born-again Christian here and you know that, that is absolutely, setter, so, um, absolutely settled. But we restore harmony with our Father in heaven by turning away from our sin. When we do sin, which happens, it disrupts the relationship. God is obviously not pleased with it. That's why it's called sin. And a harmonious relationship is built on trust and obedience and love and care. And when we sin, we, we break that. And we have to repair the quality of the relationships. So what we do, what's the appropriate thing? Two things. First thing, we are to confess our sins. Basically, that means we are to own it. We are to speak it out. Um, I think the best thing to do is to do it out loud, even if you're on your own. Do it out loud. Absolutely own what you've done. I said that. I did that. I thought that. I acted like that. This is what I did. Sometimes it can also be things we haven't done. You know, things we should have done, but we haven't done. You know, I was raised an Anglican, and they were called the sins of omission. Things you should have done, but you haven't done. So you, you own it. You confess it. You own it. You say, this is what I've done. Then, it says, then the Bible says you repent, which just means turn around. The sinful action has taken me this way. I turn around. I go this way. It's a change of attitude, a change of heart. I'm going to leave behind what I did. I'm going to turn away from it. I'm going to go to my son and say, I'm sorry for that. I own it. I, I, I confess it. Then I repent, go away, knowing that God has forgiven us because of Christ's death on the cross. You see, because God does not condemn us. 
God does not condemn us. It says in Romans 8.1, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. We can always be honest with God. Have you ever tried to not be honest with God? It's one of the dumbest things you can ever do, isn't it? Just If I don't tell him about that thing I've done, he won't know. And you're like, it's God, of course he knows. So we confess our sin. And God isn't this finger-wagging kind of mean headmaster figure that is sometimes portrayed who wants to whack you. We didn't, don't need to earn our way back into his good books. You know, we've done this thing wrong and we think it's this big so if we do this many good things it kind of outweighs our bad stuff and we can get back to that. No. We just repent, turn away from our sin and receive the forgiveness that we have in Christ. Here's a crucial question out of what we've just said. What must I do to be accepted by God? If we've sinned, what must I do to be accepted by God? Short answer, nothing. (laughs) You already are. If you have made a commitment to follow him, you already are accepted by God. You don't have to earn your way back into his presence. You don't have to do good things. If I read my Bible today and I pray and help an old lady across the street and give my money to charity, no. You're already accepted in Christ because you are in Christ. And is is Christ accepted by the Father? Yeah. And guess what? You're in him. So you are accepted. Even when you came in this morning, I don't know how you came in. Did you come in, you know, kind of ready to go, let's worship? Did you come in dragging, thinking about the work? Did you commit the ultimate sin and come in late? (gasps) Oh, no. You were accepted before you got in your car and left to come here. You're accepted the moment you walk up. We are already children of God. We are already children. We don't have to earn anything. So in summary, it's not what we do that determines who we are. It's not what we do. It's who we are that determines what we do. We don't need to become, keep trying to become who we already are. We don't need to try and become who we already are. I don't know if you've read any of the New Testament letters. If you consider the ones by the Apostle Paul, they're quite an interesting insight if you read them kind of as a whole. Because what usually happens when you read Paul's letters, particularly Ephesians, which we've studied, so I'm I'm more familiar with, is um, they usually divide in half neatly. Ephesians is great. First three chapters on one thing, last uh, three chapters, four, five, and six on something else. Paul always starts his letters by hammering... um, uh, the church with who they are in Christ. He keeps saying, this is what you're like. This is what you're like. This is what God has done. This is who you are now. And it's truth, truth, truth. And he's saying, just get this. And in the back half of the letter, once the church have been like, you know, hit with a theological broadside of this is who you are, this is what God done, he then says, right now, this is how you live. And it always, be, it always starts with who you are and what God's done. And it always starts with truth. And then out of that comes the practical bit. It doesn't, we, we, we can sometimes just skip to the, what should, I look, what should I do to be a Christian? How should I act? All these kind of things. But it must always start with who we are. We actually don't need to act like children of God. Why? Because we are. <laughs> don't need to act like it. My kids don't need to act like my sons. They are my sons. And it's the same with us. We don't need to act like God's children. We are God's children. We have a Father in heaven who loves us, who accepts us, who uh, is concerned with every single detail of our life. The most mundane thing. I've got Levi's at school now, and he's a little boy. And trying, I am so interested, and 
about everything he's done that day. When he comes home, I want to ask. I literally want to know what he's had for lunch. You know, what Levi won't tell me because he's just he's got much more interesting things to do, and I think I'm, you come across as a needy dad. But you know, I'm just saying, Levi, what'd you do today? What'd you, I'm trying to get any questions just to get information because I'm genuinely interested in what he did, what his work was, who he played with in the playground. Because I'm a dad and I love him, and that's just what. And God's like that with us; He's just interested in every part of our lives, everything we are. And no matter what you do, you can't change the fact that you are His children. You can't change the fact that he loves you as much as he does. You can't make that go up and down. It's a constant stream towards you. You can't make him love you more and you can't make him love you less. And the key to growing as a Christian is grabbing some of these truths and making them real in our lives. What I want to finish with today, if you've got your book, can you go to page 25? I want us to say a few more things of truth. And and the homework out of this it's obviously to be reading this. I'd love you to be reading this every day this week. Put, take the book home, put it wherever it's going to work for you. By your bed, on your desk, sometimes in the toilet. You know, you're sitting there. You can read. Whatever works best for you, but I want you to be saying these things. If you, have, if you haven't done the first stop, maybe you could do both of them, or one in the morning, one in the evening, however it work out. But what this is, we just want to talk, say some truth to ourselves. And the point of this isn't trying to convince ourselves of something. It's not like if I you know, believe enough, it will be true. It is true. You just have to believe it. You just have to believe it. And the power of believing something uh, can be staggering. I, I still remember so vividly a time at university, and I was about, about 20 years ago. Such a long time in my life. But I remember getting involved in something that I shouldn't have and doing something. And I remember going to church that evening and being convicted and feeling pretty wretched. And I remember going forward for some ministry, and um, the young guy prayed to me, and I confessed kind of what I'd done, and I had a good old sob uh, at my sin, and he prayed, and I asked God's forgiveness. Okay, and then I went home. But the reality was, the next morning, I woke up Monday morning, and I felt wretched. I felt wretched for what I'd done. I was still thinking about it, and I think, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe that went along. And that went along every day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and I just felt miserable all week. I went back to church Sunday, um, and I went forward for ministry again, and I actually got the same guy, and I said, look, you know, last week, you know, I prayed this prayer, and I told you about this stuff, and, you know, ask for God's forgiveness. But I've had a miserable week. I just, it's just there the whole time. And I said, you know, I asked for God's forgiveness. And he, it's really interesting, he just looked me straight in the eye and he said, you asked God to forgive you, didn't you? Yeah. And I said, well, did you believe it? I just kind of went, uh, no. And then all he said was, do you believe it? And I said, yeah. And in that moment, everything changed. Everything changed. Because why? Not because I'd done something good or right. I just simply believed it. I simply believe what the Bible said. When I confess my sins, God is faithful of just. He will cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Forgive my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And guess what? In that moment I received it by faith. Because I believed it. And that's all it is. is We've got to believe the truth. It's not about working our way up. It's about taking the truth and saying, actually, I believe this. So what we're going to do is we're going to take some truths about my Father God. So we've got some lies to renounce that we are tempted to believe. The enemy would have us believe. Circumstances cause us to believe. Our own kind of insecurities push us towards. But then we have some truth that says... 
This is actually what it's in, in Christ. Now, we've got, also got some references in there. If you want to take them home and look them up, that would be good. So what we're going to do is we're going to read them out, and they come in a couplet. Oh, yeah, we're going to have to jump on to the next one. So, Phil, you're going to be on your toes, and we're going to go from the top all together. Actually, let's stand up. Let's stand up and do this. Just give yourself a wiggle. Limber up. And I want us to proclaim this like we mean it. So, from the top there, all together. I renounce the lie that my Father God is distant and uninterested in me. I joyfully accept the truth that my Father God is intimate and involved. I renounce the lie that my Father God is insensitive and uncaring. I joyfully accept the truth that my Father God is kind and compassionate. I renounce the lie that my Father God is stern and demanding. I joyfully accept the truth that my Father God is accepting and filled with love and love. I renounce the lie that my Father God is passive and cold. I joyfully accept the truth that my Father God is warm and affectionate. I renounce the lie that my Father God is absent or too busy for me. I joyfully accept the truth that my Father God is always with me and eager to be with me. I renounce the lie that my Father God is impatient, angry, or never satisfied with what I do. I joyfully accept the truth that my Father God is patient and slow to anger and delights in those who put their hope in his unfailing love. I renounce the lie that my Father God is mean, cruel, or abusive. I joyfully accept the truth that my Father God is loving and gentle and protective. I renounce the lie that my Father God is trying to take all the fun out of life. I joyfully accept the truth that my Father God is trustworthy and wants to give me a full life. His will is good, perfect and acceptable for me. I renounce the lie that my Father God is controlling or manipulative. I accept accept the truth that my Father God is full of grace and mercy and gives me freedom to fail. I renounce the lie that my Father God is condemning or unforgiving. I joyfully accept the truth that my Father God is tender-hearted and forgiving. His heart and arms are always open to me. I renounce the lie that my Father God is nitpicking or a demanding perfectionist. I joyfully accept the truth that my Father God is committed to my growth and proud of me as his growing child. I am the apple of his eye. Okay, do you want to just close your eyes? Can the band come up? We're going to worship God together. I'm just going to pray for us along those lines. I can't commend to you enough just the power of reading truth over your life. 
And in those lists, there is much powerful truth contained. If you haven't read the previous ones, it would be a good exercise to get into that. So this coming week, make a point of reading some of them over, even if it's just one or two. Get them into your life. Believe the truth. You're not trying to build something up inside you. This is true. This is real. This is how God feels about you. And the other list is who you are in him. So I'm going to pray and I'm going to hand over to Dave and the band and we're going to worship Jesus. So Lord God, I want to thank you that we are new creations. <laughs> Lord, I want to thank you that we've been thoroughly trained, changed through and through by you. Lord, I want to thank you that the old is gone and the new has come. And it's not something we have to earn or build up. It's just something that is. Lord, I thank you that when we fail and we so often do, Lord, I thank you that forgiveness is found in you. Lord, that you will freely forgive it. When we confess our sins, we turn away because you've already paid the price. We don't have to re-earn it. It's been paid. Lord, I thank you for that. I thank you that we can come freely before your throne now. If you know there's something in your life, even now as I'm speaking, you think, I need to get that sorted for God because he's kind of pushed his finger on it. Just do it now. It doesn't take long. Just do it. Confess, acknowledge, repent, receive forgiveness. And I can assure you now, if you've done that, I can assure you with absolute clarity that you are now forgiven. (laughs) You are completely forgiven, wiped away. The death of Christ covers it. And what I can also assure you is what happened, you know, where, how you were 10 minutes ago and how you are now hasn't changed. Nothing's changed. You've just sorted one thing out. Your actual identity hasn't changed. Lord God, I want to thank you that you are a good father in heaven who watches over. Lord, I thank you that you're a dad that, that welcomes us to you, Lord. No matter what our experience of earthly dads, good or bad, distant or present, abusive or kind, Lord, you are a good father and nothing changes that and you freely say, come to me. I love you. I'm interested in you. I'm interested in every part of your life. I'm interested in the highs. I'm interested in the lows. I'm interested in the joy. I'm interested in the pain. Whatever it is, there is no detail too small that I'm not interested. Lord, we thank you that your love is for us, that you joy, rejoice over us, Lord God that you are desperate to kind of see us and spend time with us and you want to know us. Lord Jesus, I thank you for that amazing truth. Lord Jesus, we love you, we praise you. And God's people said, Amen. Amen.